Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 106 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Today, I'm talking to the delightful Alana Oaken, and uh, we met at Writer's Digest in New York and just fell in love with her. She's a kindred spirit, and I think you'll really enjoy what she has to say. So before we get into the interview, just a tiny little catch up because I'm literally leaving for the airport um, as soon as I stop talking. I will edit this at the airport and hopefully get it up on time this week, and um, I'm going to the Sur. International Writers Conference in Vancouver, which really, really thrills me. I'm so excited to go to this conference. I've heard such good things about it. I'm going to be presenting on um, choosing between going toward traditional publishing or choosing self-publishing. And I have a memoir session and I have a um, memoir panel, I believe. I have a bunch of blue pencils. And interestingly, a documentarian um, who is making a... uh, documentary about the policing industry um, wants me to be on their documentary um, as the 911 dispatcher voice since I have 17 years of experience with that. So I'm actually going to be being trailed by cameras while I'm there. Um, Not at all relating to the writing world, Um, but I will tell you that I am using that to my advantage. Um, They want something from me. I'm getting something from them. It uh, This is a prominent documentarian. Under my name, when I'm on screen, I want it to say R.H. Heron, author of Stolen Things. And uh, that's going to be my name for Thriller, which is actually my name also. And um, I want to be able to talk about the book on there because it is my 911 dispatcher thriller. So I'll get a little bit of promo there. And also, I've been looking for someone to film me giving sessions so that I can put it on my site and people can see how I teach. And I asked them if they'd be willing to do that because they're bringing all their professional equipment. So this is an example of um, best for all in terms of it's a win-win. We all get something out of this. So, uh, But what it means is that I'm not going to have any downtime for the conference when I am not actually in sessions or doing something with the conference. um, I'm going to be filming. So, and I've told nobody this but my wife and she thinks that I'm insane. I also need to finish a book while I'm gone because I need to edit it next week. And so um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get it done. I'm going to really, really, really try. So that is my life right now. A little update on Patreon new subscribers. Thank you. Thank you so much to Melanie Levy and to Mary E. Lasher who pledged at the amount where we chat all things creative and talk about writing for a half an hour a month together on Skype. So um, thank you to past, present, and future patrons. It really makes a world of difference to me and me being able to live this creative life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Let's jump right into the interview. Please send me an email. Come by howdoyouwrite.net. Leave a comment. Um, Tell me how you're doing. Tell me how your writing is going. And get some of your own writing done, my friends, this week. We'll talk soon. This episode is brought to you by my book, Fast Draft Your Memoir, Write Your Life Story in 45 Hours, which is, by the way, totally doable, and I tell you how. It's the same class I teach in the Continuing Studies program at Stanford each year, and I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you have no interest in writing a memoir yet, 
The book has everything I've ever learned about the process of writing and of revision and of story structure and of just doing this thing that's so hard and yet all we want to do. Pick it up today. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to this show my friend Alana Oaken. Hi, Alana. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you are here. We met at the Writer's Digest um, conference in in New York, and it was so great to meet you. There, I, I love so many things about you and your writing, but let me give you a little introduction first. Um, Alana Oaken is a senior editor at Vox.com and the author of The Curse of the Boyfriend Sweater, an essay collection about crafting available now from Flatiron Macmillan. Her writing has been published in The New York Times, NPR, BuzzFeed, Apartment Therapy, and The Hairpin, among others, and she's appeared on Today, Good Morning America, and many other local and national TV and radio programs. That's a cool bio. Thanks. It's so funny. I like forget about everything. It seems kind of dinky, like piecemeal. And then you kind of see it all together. And it's like, okay, I'm not like, you know, totally messing up every aspect of my existence. (laughs) Which is the way I feel about myself constantly. So I feel you. But of course, we immediately bonded because we have both written collections of essays about knitting and crafting and that kind of lifestyle. So it was so good to see you. I've really, really been loving the book. I've been going through it really slowly. I picked it up there. And um, because I want to make it last because there's not that many of these kind of books out there. And I find your writing really beautiful and lovely. And I just want to talk about your process because that's what this podcast is about. Um, It seems like you, so you have this unique position that I always thought would be super challenging that you write for your day job. And how do you then, um, what I want to get to in this is like how you still keep energy for your own creative work. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Absolutely. So, I mean, that's kind of a question I ask myself constantly. And I should also sort of say off the bat, you're kind of catching me in a bit of a fallow period. So this is my first book. It came out in March. And it's not that, you know, you're not obviously working on a book up until the moment it comes out. Like I probably crossed the I's and dotted the T's or vice versa uh, the summer beforehand. (laughs) But I really have not been working on any major project for myself since then. It's been like, you know, definitely over a year since I've had something that felt like this really big, cohesive, project. Um, And I've been sort of dabbling and sort of, you know, doing some short essays. And one of my best friends is an illustrator. So we've been working on some of that stuff together. But honestly, it's it's a big question in my day to day life right now is sort of how do I find that energy and sort of the, um, the reserves essentially to tap Mm -hmm. into. But I can also sort of speak to how the book came to be and sort of how I maneuvered that at the time. Already by then, um, I was at BuzzFeed at the time, that was sort of where I worked for years and years. And was that, that as fun as it seems like it would be? It was very fun, especially because I came in, like, not on the ground floor, but, like, the second floor, where it was sort of just starting to become a thing that was on people's Facebook news feeds. Like, my dad went from not knowing what it was when I started to, like, bragging about it, you know, a couple years later. So it was kind of to be part of this thing that was growing. Um, And as part of that, I got to be um, part of the team that ended up launching the first DIY section at BuzzFeed. And that was so fun because I loved my at the time, Peggy Wang, who's still there and is just like this genius. Um, And it meant literally that we could just like craft at work as part of the job and, you know, like basically like bring in, like we had like two crickets, like, you know, the... um, The looms. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like really just such a fun, like zany experience. But I also knew I was kind of over it, uh, or at least needed to sort of start thinking about next moves. Uh, when one day I came back to my desk after lunch and I was so annoyed because everyone was crowding around and I couldn't get to my seat. And it was because there was a skateboarding bulldog in the way. And I was like, not charmed. I was like, not happy that there was this like whimsical <laughs> thing. I was just like, I literally need to file this story. <laughs> like, could we put the bulldog elsewhere? <laughs> um, There's also know, a I, story in that. that <laughs> yeah, a thousand percent. Loved BuzzFeed. But you know, it, I was there for from 22 to 27 and kind of realized, you know, you need to have a different experience. But also in that time, I actually made the transition pretty consciously from being a writer as my day job to being an editor. Um, and obviously those take a a ton of the same muscles. It's, you're still sort of massaging text all the time. But I found that I was burning out really, really hard on writing. Mm. I think partially because I'd also, you know, sold this book and was trying to make that happen. Um, and also just that I didn't want to use the same set of muscles all the time. I actually yeah. found that like, I've always dabbled in editing. Like that was, I was an assistant editor at Buzzfeed, but it, I, I was still writing quite frequently. And I realized how much I liked being able to sort of have my writing muscles for myself and my editing muscles for everyone else if that makes sense interesting it's almost like having like a lens that can kind of zoom way tight in and way far back and I I try to remember the editing lessons that I hold dear when I'm writing and being edited you know like that no one thing really matters that much and you know it's so fine to like kill a paragraph and save it for later um and it's you know seeing the forest for the trees and all that and then of course you're like in the middle of this personal essay that you love and you're just like no I shan't like every word my child you know um, so easier said than done but I think that making that choice was a big one for me. Um, and I think about it sometimes. I think about would I want to get back into writing on a more sort of full-time basis? Would I want to, you know, kind of, would that help jog some of my creativity in other spaces? And I honestly don't have the answer to that yet. And I think that probably my, like, writing life is going to need to be a little bit of a push and pull in that way. Um, because also, I mean, obviously, like just having any full time job, I think is makes it a little more logistically difficult to write a book, at least like, I was very much doing the nights and weekends thing. And I was very lucky mm. to be in a job where they gave me book leave, you know, um, to go off and work on it, which was great. You know, I like stayed in this beachside mansion in Rhode Island that belonged to some like friends of friends of my parents who were so cool and so nice about it. And I was totally alone in this house and just like gray gardensing really hard. Like that is walking. amazing. Oh my God. I was like, by the end, I was like walking around the beach in my like fake fur coat with like a glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> you know? So that's part of my process. I guess <laughs> I would like that to be part of my process. I just decided I need to <laughs> To I need to find a mansion, a great gardens mansion. It was, it was wild. It was such a weird experience, but it was really, I think I would not have been able to write the book if I hadn't been given the gift and the enormous privilege of this just like chunk of alone time. Like I don't, I think I wrote like half the book in that one month and then the other half over the course of like the next year. <laughs> so did you sell it on proposal then? Yes, I did. I had written, how it kind of came to be was I had written and published maybe two pieces, both of which ran on BuzzFeed that were about, that actually ended up in the book in some mm -hmm. form or another. Um, one was about uh, crafting in order to get through grief because I had two friends who died quite young. Um, and then one was about crafting in order to sort of metabolize anxiety, which is uh, like kind of the whole book is basically about mm -hmm. that. Sort of the first time I'd ever really drawn that connection, which obviously tons of writers and crafters have drawn. Um, but working on those was just such a singular joy, like two of my favorite things I've ever written. And even just like 
you know, it's not like they got a bajillion views, but to get the feedback from fellow crafters, like the sort of, you know, you too, I thought I was the only one thing that I think we're all kind of striving for really made me realize that I just had so much more I wanted to say about this and I wanted to be part of this conversation. And so I sort of shopped around for agents, um, wrote what I thought was a book proposal to like send to them. And then it turned out it was like definitely not a book proposal. Um, <laughs> but the agent could help you write the real one. Yeah. And sort of went on a bunch of the like agent first dates and, you know, sending all those blind emails that you send. Uh, and then I actually sort of found my way to my agent, whose name is Kate McKean, and who's just so wonderful. I like can't overstate how much I love Kate. Um, we'd known each other for a couple years because she is a crafter. We'd met at um, this Brooklyn craft company camp thing that they did for it was like a one day event for like adults who wanted to come craft. How and fun. I came in for, yeah. And so I met Kate, I guess, probably two years previously. And we just sort of like you know, known each other from the internet. And I knew she was a literary agent. She was also a crafter. So I basically emailed her, I think it was like New Year's Day being like, how do I make a book that's also a craft book? And she's like, you send it to me. <laughs> so it was so funny. Like, that's I'm glad wonderful. I got to query all these people and, you know, talk to other agents and shape it. But like, sort of the thing I wanted was in front of me the whole time. And she's just been like such a joy. And your book is beautiful and beautifully packaged. And I love the cover so much, and I got lucky with that cover. <laughs> Don't we? I mean, like, we have nothing to do with these covers. They just... No, they yeah. sent me three options, all of which were just, like, insanely beautiful, and I would have, like, wallpapered my home with. Wow. And, like, it was kind of like, this is... You're lucky. Like, this is not... That usual. does not happen. Yeah. Um, I got a sweet. cover once that made me cry. <laughs> yeah. I can so believe it. Oh, my God. Like, it's just your whole heart is tied up in this yeah. thing. You know that there's a million other people whose jobs are sort of going on behind the scenes, yeah. but, like hard not to, you know, yeah, take it very personally. Exactly. Well, what is your, what is the biggest challenge for you when it does come to writing your own stuff? I think it comes sort of getting over the, the mean personal voice of like, why are you writing this? Is It doesn't matter. And trying to cut off all criticism at the path um, or pass rather. I never remember how that phrase goes, but this is something I'm actually, I'm, I'm sort of saying this now and, and really this is something I've even been like talking about in therapy is needing to get over is I think that there is this sense, especially when you're writing these huge big things or these things that feel like a stand in for you, that obviously it's not going to be for everyone, that there's going to be someone who thinks that what you're writing about is very fluffy and inconsequential, Absolutely, who thinks yeah. Trying to be too cute or too flip, like, and I find myself even now, you know, however long into my career and working with other writers on this stuff, really falling prey to those kind of invisible voices to the to the point where sometimes I just don't even start something because I'm like, well, why am I the right person to write this? Or, you know, if I say this, it's going to sound so thin or silly or facetious. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a really easy set of excuses to just like not put your ass in the chair. And so <sighs> I, I try really hard to just kind of be like, you know what? get the words out and we'll figure it out later. Like get your 800, 900 words down for the beginning. And like, it doesn't have to be a whole book right away. Cause that's, I mean, maybe that's part of it, but that that's sort of a twin fear is like, I have, I think sort of second book syndrome right now where I have all these ideas for things I want to do. And then I sit down and I write a couple thousand words and I'm like, well, this isn't a book yet. And it's like, yeah, well, my Neither was yours, homegirl. Like it kind of took some time and like a large team of people. But it's hard to remember that sometimes. I'm impatient to get back to that place of like being in book zone because I loved it so much. Like I loved it. 
I loved just being me in this project. Um, and, and sort of the, I mean, as you know, as a knitter, sort of the uncomfortable cast on beginning, just the tightness and trying to get it right. And it just looks so stubby and so ugly, like not a fan of that point. And it's sort of where I'm at right now with a lot of projects. So. You are really singing my song because I, I realize sometimes that I wake up in the morning and there is this expectation, a literal expectation in the back of my mind that is a like a, a nonverbal lizard brain kind of thing that says, if I work hard enough, I'll finish the book today. Yes, The book that I started today. You could be 2,000 words in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And it's the same thing with a sweater. Like I'm casting on for a sweater and I, I, I'm going to wear that this weekend. And I know that consciously is impossible. But but then when I look at those first few rows, I'm like, are you serious? I have, right, like, still have to work? Yeah. yeah, like, can I outsource this? Like, can I get an intern who will write this book and, like, knit this sweater for me, please? <laughs> like, exactly. you know, I mean, it sounds so silly to say this all out loud. but It it's does, just, like, but it's a feeling. Where my, yeah. yeah. I am, I'm, I'm also, um, let me ask you this, too. I am a, a project knitter. I'm not a process knitter. What are, what are you? I like to have, I knit for, in order to get a sweater. I do not knit. Oh, my God. I'm the exact opposite. Really? It, honestly, there are a lot of times when I almost wish that something would just like evaporate when I finish knitting it. Like, I don't know. I just like, I love being in it so much. Like I love, like I love being almost done with something like that is like the best. Like when you're like 90 and and you like can decide if you want to like finish while watching this show or not. Um, no, it's funny. I, I would have thought, and I think it earlier in my life, I was a lot more of a project knitter, but now I just want to learn every, like, I want to prove to myself that I can do it. You know, like I want to like learn that I can turn a heel. I want to learn that I can like knit a sweater sleeve to sleeve. Like, I, I don't know. There's yeah. just sort of, there's such satisfaction in that. Have um, you ever heard of the master knitter program? This sounds really familiar it's to like me. It's like a but... two year program or something like that. And, and you do learn how to do everything in knitting. And then you are a certified master knitter. It sounds like hell to me. It sounds like something that you might like to do someday. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's funny, you know, so I turned 28 and now I'm sort of facing what they call the Saturn returns years, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like this idea that your whole sort of brain and body are trying to reset themselves. And I'm sort of thinking about, okay, what do I want to do with these next few years? And like, that is kind of in the, like the realm of like something crazy enough that it just might work. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and that, that's what I love doing. I love doing projects that I, I choose a focus, but they actually bring a focus into something completely different that I never saw coming. So, well, this is a weird question, um, just because stating it is going to sound funny to you, but can you share a craft tip? And I'm speaking specifically about writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I always talk about teaching craft because, you know, I've taught some writing classes and my friends are always like, oh, my God, you're teaching craft. And I'm like, yes, occasionally, not, not, not Wednesday. And not to writers, usually. I I think, I mean, first of all. If you can get away with cutting out your adverbs, go for it. Um, that's just sort of the most like baseline thing. And I, I often have to, to, or at least use them sparingly. I'd say use anything sparingly. Um, I write with, so, you know, I work with now this team of reporters. I edit nine reporters right now. And I feel so intimately acquainted with each one of their sort of ticks and foibles. And they're all phenomenal. They're all oh, that's wonderful. fascinating writers, but I could almost give you a Mad Lib of like, this is what person A does. And this is what person B does. And I think that like, we should love our ticks and we should lean into them, but also use them very, very wisely. So if you know that you are, you know, someone who does abuse adverbs, or if you're someone who likes to pose rhetorical questions or whatever, like allow yourself them, like maybe one per piece, and even yes. then see if like go a little longer without doing it. So that's the most like baseline advice. Um, but also, I think, if I can offer any sort of process tip, it's that don't beat yourself up if you are not one of the like 6am 
button chair, you know, like Hemingway editing over a thing, a whiskey. Like, I think I thought for a very long time that in order to be a writer, you know, capital W, I had to be the type of person who was doing it every day and who was really disciplined and who could sort of like decide to turn down plans after work to just go home and write. And I, and I was very self-conscious that because I was not doing those things that I wasn't serious, particularly because I write about often unserious topics. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's always been that self-consciousness and realizing that that paralysis was also keeping me from writing was kind of a big wake up call. And so I will say just like write when and how you can, if that means writing on your phone note, you know, on your phone, whatever the notes app, mm -hmm. um, while commuting on the subway, or if it means, you know, while your kids are going to sleep, like just sort of sneaking into the next room and writing on a legal pad. Like, I think that there's no right way to do it. And the idea that there is, has kept a lot of incredible people from being able to really kind of break forward. Um, there's, there's, an, it, it feels very masculine to me, this idea that you can just that, like, yeah. you know, bust through no matter what. Push like, through. And it does, it does frustrate so many people and it actually freezes so many people. And, and it brings that level of shame in that we're all, that I personally am always trying to get away from because I, I bring my own level of shame into everything. Exactly. Yeah. And this level of accountability too, that yeah. you're kind of always well, the muse hasn't paid a visit, so how can I? And it's like, well, unfortunately, she's not showing up, so like you have to be your own muse to some degree. And get it done when you can get it done and not necessarily at 6 a.m. every morning. Yes. No, it doesn't have to be, nothing has to be precious. I'm, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I look, I write about incredibly precious topics. Like I literally write about like miniature hand knits, but like I would like to think I am not a particularly precious writer or editor, and I think that that can help unclog a lot of things. Too. As an editor to nine... Uh, writers at Vox, you you have to be that way. I mean, like that's incredible. I had a I had a piece at Vox last month. Oh, sorry. Go. Oh no, I was just I was just gonna say I had a piece at Vox last month or the month before on um, um people who make racist nine one one calls, and I loved I loved being on Vox. There, you guys have a huge readership. Yeah. Did you work with Karen? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, she's the best. She's I love Karen. She kept sending me my piece back with like little tweaks, like, what do you think yeah. about me? And I'm like, oh, I should have seen that. How did I not see that? This is like, you know. That's like the writer's job. That's the whole thing. Oh, oh yeah. That's something I can say to writers is never, ever, ever apologize or like hedge to an editor. Like, you know, I have people who apologize sometimes because they're like, oh, my God, this took like two or three rounds of edits. And I'm like, oh, honey, like this that's might take six. And that's fine. It that's like, like our job. Three. It took like three. And usually mine only take one or two. Yeah. No, I think it's honestly sometimes the mark of a good editor who wants to really get, you know, in it with you and really kind of get this thing the best it wants to be. So like, yeah, I think that that is like the thing I've taken away from my job is just like editing is not personal. And actually, that's an important thing to remember, particularly when you're writing personal stuff. Like I edit personal essays. That's a big part of my job. Um, and, and that's a hard thing because you're obviously you're not trying to pass judgment, of course, on anyone's life story. But often it's like in order for this to be a successful piece of writing, you know, it does need to sort of do a certain number of tasks and it needs to clarify a certain number of things. Um, and, you know, it, it definitely takes a lot of discipline, I think, as both a writer and an editor to get to that point where you're like, OK, I will divorce myself from, you know, this sense that like this thing needs to be exactly how I want it to be and can instead maybe elevate by doing all these other things. <laughs> I have to say that I think that you have the coolest job ever, because the, the one thing I love about writing the most, I love lots of parts of writing, but I love revision and editing and that and I can be in that space forever. And it's one of those things I can write for maybe I can write a first draft piece for maybe two or three hours max and then my brain shuts down, but I can revise all day. Happily. I'm so the opposite. Oh my God. I'd so We're much rather so, like, it's so get funny. the whole thing done at once and then, and like, like one fell swoop and then like 
oh my god, I'm also just a, such a hypocrite. Like, I want to revise like half a draft, and that's it. Like, <laughs> it's the yeah, only thing I want to do. It's like I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the editor. Do it. Like, I go. Like, go at, make it better. <laughs> you know. Like, no need to ask me. And then they do. Oh, I love it. I I, I just turned in like you know final final copy edits on this thriller that's coming out from Penguin next year. You know, and it was you know. Uh, she kept sending it back to me to say like, well, I did change this word. Is it okay if I put in this word? And I just wanted to say, put in any words, put in supercalifragilisticabs—that that word. I don't care right now. I'm so done with this book. You don't have to ask me anything anymore. I got Rachel by the time. And I loved my book and loved my process and like feel very happy with how everything went. But by the like, what was it? The third pass or something. I was just kind of like, Yes, it says words in an order. I can't do any better. That seems fine. Like, I was almost worried I was going to start introducing copy errors because it was just like, yeah, sure, fine, book, 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 you know. <laughs> but then, actually, I came to sort of re-love the manuscript again because I ended up recording the audiobook for it, which oh, I, like, hadn't cool. expected. Literally, I mean, the book came out March 20th, and I think I was in the recording studio on, like, February 20th, you know. It was, like, very close to... Did they um, actually get it out in time? Yeah, That's it was, like, great. It was fabulous. super... It was, but I, and so I really only did, I think, two like business days of recording. And so I had to read the whole thing aloud in that time. And it was the first time I'd really sat down with it in such a con- like a concerted way since I'd like been done with it. And that was really cool to get to kind of go over. And I'd been worried that I was going to find all these like mistakes or things I wish I'd done differently. But it was a nice reminder that it was like, no, you did this thing and it sounds like what you wanted it to sound like, you know, like a lot of people conspired to make it sound how you wanted it to sound. So like, it's fine. And isn't that fun? I got to narrate, um, fast draft your memoir, which I loved doing. And I had the same experience. I had been so sick of the book, but when I finally did the audio, it was, it was so fun to fall back in love with it, you know? Oh my God. Totally. Yeah. And it was fun. You probably got this too. It's fun to like kind of get to do the voices of the people in your life. Like sort of like, hi, Alana said my mom, you know, <laughs> I did. I had some sisters in there and an ex-boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay. So um, what is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? Oh my God. Okay. So <laughs> this is going to sound so like, okay, where were you in 1991? But I just read The Secret History for the first time. Oh my God. And like, it's, it, like, it's, I can't believe I hadn't read it before. Like I'm actually mad at everyone who's ever recommended a book to me that was not this book because it's so my shit. Like, you know, so it's just these, what is it? I think it's like, five, you know, very sort of rarefied college kids Academic. And, and you know what's going to happen at the beginning and it doesn't matter. And it's just so like it's by Donna sexy. Tart, if anybody doesn't it's know, Tart with two, three T's. Yeah. And, you know, and I will say, so I'd read The Goldfinch when it came out and not loved it. Like I'd found it a little long, a little like there's like 150 pages in the desert that I just like wasn't super keen on. So I think it had just not and she's obviously an incredibly talented writer. Like Donna Tartt does not need that me makes to me think. feel better though, because I started yeah. reading the goldfinch and I just couldn't get into it, but I had felt that way about the secret history. No, exactly. And then, so that, that's why it took me some time to just sort of be like, fine, I should read it. Um, and I literally was like canceling plans because I was so excited about this book. Like, and you know, honestly, like I read a ton for my job and I live in this very busy city and my life is just very stressful and like, exhausting sometimes like I've gotten off the reading bandwagon for a while um it's been a long time and I'm, I'm trying to read a book a week this year which has definitely required some like wow what a good idea yeah it's actually well so it's my boyfriend's idea and he told me about it and then I was like great it's a contest now <laughs> <laughs> and he's like and I keep being like so like Brendan where are you at and he's like I'm not I'm not informing you, like, you can't have that. <laughs> 
Um, I'm, I'm on deal. track if anyone's curious, <laughs> but, but no, so it, but it had still been a very long time since I'd really kind of like warmed up those muscles, the like reading under the covers with a flashlight yes, style of reading. Yes. I just like, and I recommended it to a few friends who had also not read it and they're all just like obsessed too. So it, that's so um, great. And I've actually thought of that recently. I've thought of that book recently and I thought, I, I wonder if I should put that back on my to, to be read because I haven't read it since 91 when it came out or 92. Yeah. So yeah. No, highly read. And then as far as um, new books, I just read in one sitting sort of the opposite experience. And it's, it's, it's actually the opposite book in every possible way um, is Convenience Store Woman. Um, and it's just this I... like, and I, I have to send you the author's name. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it takes place pretty much. It's this woman. It's a first person fiction. She's 36 and she's been working in the same 24 hour convenience store since she was 18. So sort of half her life out of the convenience store, half mm. her life in. And it's just like this very neat and simple and eerie little book that I literally read one insomniac night between midnight and 4am. Um, and it was just like so lovely and so cool and made me really think a lot about convenience stores and sort of these like liminal spaces that yes. people offer. Um, I think that that, it, I think it would be an ideal like plane or road trip book. Like I think you could do it in one sitting and just really like, I love I that. I love flying from New York to California or the other way and reading oh. an entire book. Like one time I remember yeah. I was, I was finishing the page as it was still taxiing in, you know, reading a little bit faster because I was going to get it. And that's such, and you just escape into this world and it's so yeah. cool. I love those suggestions. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's finally, it's been nice to really be like, because part, part of this reading every week is that I'm also logging all of it. Like, and I'll say, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'll, I'll even have like a little star if I liked it extra and I have the author and I have the date I finished and it helps me like, honestly, even keep track of my year a little bit more. It'll be like, totally. Oh, why read five books that one week? And it's like, oh, cause you were on vacation in Joshua Tree, you know, <laughs> like there's nothing else to do there. Oh, this sounds so delicious. I want to like go read a book now, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is what I'm. <laughs> always wanting to do well tell us where we can find you tell us a little bit about the curse of the boyfriend sweater yeah. so the book uh is available wherever books are sold um and it's you know it's a collection of personal essays all about crafting and so we sort of organized it basically by loosely on sort of themes so one is about how i've used crafting to navigate grief and one's about anxiety and you know One's basically about boredom and one's about joy and all these things. It's not as neat as all that, but it's it's basically sort of tracking my life through making things, um, which I think hopefully people can relate to even who are not sort of the fibery types. You know, my dad is a is a fisherman and my mom is a drummer. And I was making sure that this could be something that like they could sink their teeth into. I love that like, your oh, mom is a drummer. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Um, wow. She's a klezmer drummer. <laughs> it's like wow. traditional music. It's yeah. amazing. That's um, yeah, so that's that's the book, and that's sort of wherever, again, books are. And then I am very findable on the internet. Uh, my Twitter handle is just my first name, A-L-A-N-N-A. -A -N -N -A. And then my website is alanaoken.xyz, because I used to have alanaoken.com, and then it lapsed, and I just, like, never got it back. <laughs> <laughs> and Oaken is spelled O-K-U-N for you listeners driving in the car. So it has been such a treat to talk to you, such a treat to meet you there. <laughs> yes and and I just like completely fell in love with you the moment that we met and I just knew we had to be friends so thank you so much oh my gosh have a beautiful day thank you take care bye thanks so much for joining me on this episode of how do you write you can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. 
Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.